Welcome to the Managing Your Multi-Passionate Life Podcast. Your host, Carol Dixon Carr, is an educator of and a participant in many diverse subjects, and she loves it that way. When the spirit hits her, she'll bring you personal stories, as well as the stories of special guests, of how they navigate those multiple passions while managing mental, spiritual, physical, and emotional energy in their lives. And by extension, she will share how you can do the same in your life as a whole. So without further ado, here's Carol. Well, hello. It's been a minute since I've done a solo show, and I wanted to talk about something that I felt was at least really exciting to me. And it's 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 probably an extension of the chat that I had with Denise Hart a few episodes ago. I think it was episode 19. If you haven't listened to it yet... It was a very fun and inspiring chat, mainly because I know we vibed a lot on a lot of things, that whole creative flow and everything. But anyway, this te- this topic today is centered on your calling, or perhaps callings. And even if you're living in your bliss right now, there are still some things that you could possibly examine to take it to a different level. And I've said this before, you can have more than one calling, if that's how you're wired. Bottom line... If you are wired similarly to me, how I'm wired, you'll be much happier if your vocation is at least life-giving, gives you life, or it's very grounding, it grounds you. And the latter comes in handy for us multi-passionate types who tend to bounce from one thing to the next. That's definitely what I was used to doing. That was my default setting, just... Bouncing from one thing to the next, and that's the restless spirit that I've been taming for decades. So let me ask you, let me just ask you, how old were you when you said, I want to be a fill-in-the-blank when I grow up? And then you ended up being that thing that you wanted to be when you grew up. I know maybe a handful of people who knew right out of the gate at a very early age what they wanted to be when they grew up, but most people I knew tend to, they tended to go through some iterations before they got to the point where they actually wanted to be. And there are still some people who still don't know. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with people like that. I related to that for a long time. Because if you've been following this podcast from the beginning, you know it wasn't until my very late 30s before I had figured out that I could utilize the multiple layers of my psyche even though I did all the traditional things I was quote-unquote supposed to do. But yeah, so some people knew what they wanted to be when they grew up at a single-digit age, and some people knew later in life. And some people might have known in college. But remember, I was one of the college kids who actually changed her major a lot. Unlike my husband, who has stuck with his English major, has been an English professor, rising through the ranks for the past 26 years, or more, my daughter, psych major, has known that she's wanted to be a psych major and a therapist since high school. She'll be a senior in college in the fall. She told me I'm not interested in being anything but a therapist. So she definitely got that single focus mindset from her dad for sure. Certainly not from me. And of course, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I've said this countless times. You can either be singularly focused. I think society actually prefers that. Or... You can be like me and have multiple interests, doing most of the things that light you up. For me, personally, they either have to ground me 
or they have to give me life. And I really came to this conclusion over time. I really didn't see or notice the clues about what I wanted to be when I quote unquote grew up, because I was already grown when I was still pondering this, until retroactively, and those clues were tied to my innate gifts. Now, I may have mentioned this in one of the much earlier episodes before, but as a reminder, my mom would tell me some things that I learned about myself that I just don't remember because I was a baby or a toddler. For example, my mom said I was humming a recognizable tune at the young age of nine months. Uh, she said my dad almost dropped me because he couldn't believe what he heard. I don't remember the song, but my mom said I was humming it at nine months. And she also mentioned that when I was 18 months old, she gave me this toy piano and there were chords coming out. I mean like actual chords. It sounded like music and rhythms and I had lyrics that were very nonsensical because I was babbling but I was making music and just you know singing along and you probably couldn't understand me because I was barely talking but those chords were clearly music and not cacophony. So passion for music that will stick with me until I draw my last breath. I don't perform nearly as much as I used to. I mostly do it for a hobby, but it is life-giving and also a life-saving element. I mentioned that in an earlier episode too. Music is a life-saver and a life-giver for me. It will always be at least some kind of hobby until the day I die, if I can help it. So that's the first clue. The second clue, retroactively, or maybe a hint that I got there was some gift in there, was the math ability. I might have mentioned this story too, but now I'm giving it context in a different way. So in the third grade, Mrs. Draft was my teacher, and she would give us these time tests, and I would finish them in record time. They were just, you know, basic things, you know, multiplication, division, things like that. And I remember the first time I finished, I just sat there, turned the t paper over like they tell us to do, and the teacher, I stared at the teacher to come get my test, and she told me to finish the test in a very stern voice. And I told her that I had, and she checked it, and I aced it, and she thought I cheated. Fun stuff. Look, she made me take it again. I was okay with that, and I took it again very quickly, and... She ultimately became an ally instead of an antagonist. That was irritating being in that classroom anyway. I already felt like I was being put on the spot and on display, but at least the dynamics in that class changed for the better because suddenly I was a hot commodity being picked first for teams on that flashcard game called Travel. I don't know if that rings a bell to you, but yeah, it's one of those games where you hold up the flashcards and the first person to say it gets to advance. Anyway, I, it gave me a lot of validation because before I was really being bullied for, gosh, you name it. So I finally got some clout from that. So yeah, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm good at math. I was kind of like, so what? But whenever I was doing it, it at least grounded me. I'm like, all right, math is a very grounding thing to do. Never wanted to major in it, but it was still a clue because I did end up majoring in economics which also has math, and I've changed my major a gazillion times before I arrived there. But yeah, and I also went to graduate school, and there is really complicated math and if you're pursuing a graduate degree in economics. So that was the second clue. The third clue, notice that I 
pick these things like early in age because the first thing I was like a little baby the next time I was like in third grade then I was going to be in sixth grade so that third clue I was 11 summer of 1978 that was a long time ago but to this date that was my favorite summer oh my gosh and I remember it I told my friends that I was hanging out with in that courtyard in that apartment complex that we were going to choreograph a dance and get on the gong show now, some of you may not know about that show because you're too young, but Google it. But yeah, I was not open to any kind of negotiation. Bossy Carol had spoken. I did it in a way that had buy-in, though. It's like, you guys want to go to the gong show, right? You like to dance, right? Yeah, we want, let's make up a routine. Uh, Boogie Nights by Heat Wave was popular, so let's collaborate and get this choreography going. We got to make it look tight. You know, retrospectively, I thought... <laughs> remembering what it looked like and it was kind of cheesy but at the time we thought we had it going on and so we were gonna go to the gong show and I was super naive and idealistic and idealistic back in the day but long story short the gong show <laughs> the gong show had stopped airing new episodes before we were even ready so we didn't make it there but that process of trying was super fun the whole idea of raising money to get on a bus because that's how we were going to get there was definitely the premise. I wrote a script to a puppet show and we invited the neighborhood kids and we even had a concession stand. We had Red Hots and Lemon Heads were like the thing in these little box packaging, but we wanted to make it that sweet and sour combo. We wanted to make the packaging look really cool. I'm like, ooh, let's shock the senses. Remember that candy? So those of you old enough to remember those things back in the day, they had those at the 7-Eleven. And we, I mean, we walked everywhere back in the day, you know. I could have an episode on the whole going out to play and not worrying about things. But I would definitely be digressing then. But yeah, we packaged that spicy and sour combo and sold them for a profit. And there were a whole lot of quarters to go around after that. And it gave me so much life. Oh my gosh, I was in my element. So, that third clue was tied to entrepreneurial spirit and leadership, and also trying to get that empowerment spirit going. But in, in that, you know, back then, I was just, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm really having the time of my life this summer. And given everything I had been through the previous years with my father, this was a big, big respite. I mean, I even enjoyed visiting him in jail because I was just so happy that summer. I just didn't realize that I was going to be interested in being an entrepreneur or even teaching or mentoring or coaching or any of that back then. I was just living my life and doing the things that made me happy. And remember, like I said, I changed my major a gazillion times, but my mom said I should use my math brain. So I think it was the second or third episode you could hear about how I ended up in econ major in painful detail. <laughs> but teaching economics is very grounding for me. I, do, I typically get super restless in a gig ever since I've gotten out of, ever since I've been out of college and graduate school. By two years, I'm super restless. And by five years, I'm miserable if I haven't found another gig. But I've been teaching for the principles of microeconomics and microeconomics for almost 15 years at the same university. There's absolutely no desire to leave. And I'm teaching other courses now that I'm full time. But I always feel real, I really feel renewed when I'm teaching. It doesn't really matter what I'm teaching, too. That big umbrella of teaching is there. 
teaching and mentoring in general actually do it for me. So I can get life-giving and grounding from teaching, and it depends on the subject of what I'm teaching that, well, if it gives me both or one or the other. So let me ask you this, because I have been talking about me for 11 minutes now, 12 minutes. <laughs> so when was the first time, this is, let me ask you this, when was the first time you got an urge to do something pretty specific in service to yourself. It's kind of like a calling that's tied to at least one of your values. For example, like in my case, besides creativity, more autonomy was a big one, still is. And it, autonomy is right up there with health and creativity. But autonomy, one of my top values, that was one that was definitely in service to myself. I really craved autonomy. I was not getting that. From the time I finished graduate school in 93 until the end of 2006, I was doing jobs that were draining, really draining. And I was trying to escape as much as I could with outside interests or whatever, just whatever entrepreneurial pursuit I was trying. So your value system also comes into play when you contemplate this. It wasn't until I moved here to Dallas where I didn't want to quit the job at the university I've had since I've moved here. I moved here in early 2007. So, specific service to yourself, but by extension, service to others. As you're thinking about that that um, nudge or that urge, I think it was Jim Rohn. He called it enlightened self-interest. So we are all kind of selfish in our own way, but if it serves the greater good, hey, win-win, right? So, have you had a nudge that perhaps you've acted upon or maybe even haven't acted on it yet, maybe thought about it, or put another way, are you currently heeding your calling? And if so, are you heeding it full out? Because you could be doing being an entrepreneur, but maybe you're half-stepping. Or even more impactful on what you might be thinking in your life, are you ignoring the calling and thinking about the implications of that? Hmm. Because I know some people who are really gifted saying that they get these nudges and these urges and they're very spiritual and they joke, huh, the universe, God, whatever, whoever their spiritual leader is, they're saying, oh, God must be mistaken. They surely, they're not talking, he's not talking to me. Uh, that higher power is not talking to me. Looking over their shoulders, who, you mean me? <laughs> But they eventually say, yeah, let me do this. I need to serve the world with my gifts and serve myself. And there are several people in particular that I know who are doing that and doing it well. And I remember where they started. And it's so fun to watch their journeys and see how they've overcome the obstacles. Love it. So ponder those questions. And if there are any elements of unbearable tolerations in your current gig, even parts that... you. If you're still doing it, there is a reason for it, whether it is, well, I need to pay my bills. That's like the base level. You can actually gradually plan an exit strategy. I'll actually talk about that in a different episode, another episode. But to wrap things up, because I have to get back to packing, because I am moving on campus. I don't think I talked about that gig yet. I get to really be in my element and mentor kids in addition to my teaching duties i will be a faculty in residence and i'm moving in less than two weeks so i'm excited about that but 
anyway, I just want to let you know that if you don't want to borrow my criteria, whether that's life-giving, in my case, or if it's got to give you life or it's got to ground you, think about what you can do to find something that fits your own values and your own criteria. It's like they might type my values, for example, is health, creativity, autonomy, uh, connection, collaboration. Those are, those are mine, for example. So I would have you start thinking about yours. And I have this PDF. I'll just, it's a, I'll just link it in the show notes as a Dropbox link. So you don't have to opt in or anything for it. But it's a resume for your eyes only exercise that will help you dig a bit deeper if you're interested. And it will, if you're in that space, of evaluating your career. This is one of those good first step self-evaluation, if if it applies. And if you know someone who might be going through a career crisis, share this episode with them so they can start the self-discovery journey that won't feel pressurized. Hopefully it will feel a bit empowering because you'll look at like, wow, I'm freaking amazing. Look at all I've done. And look at what I'm capable of doing. And when you go through this exercise, it's not the whole picture, but it's definitely a start. So with that, we'll keep this short because the episode's coming. They'll be a little longer because it's a little intriguing. I'll just let you know. I'll let you just kind of leave with that. There is a situation where I get to be vulnerable and I get to have somebody do have do a demo of SRT. You'll have to find out what that means when that gets published. But yeah, in the meantime, I wish you a wonderful week. This is being published on a day that's not typically Saturday, but that's okay. I am going with the flow because sometimes that's what you have to do. Take care. Thank you for listening to Managing Your Multi-Passionate Life with Carol Dixon Carr. If you'd like to continue the conversation on these topics, head on over to the free Managing Your Multi-Passionate Life Facebook group. You can find the link in the show notes along with other resources. And if any of Carol's words resonate with you, feel free to subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Until next time.